Welcome to Word on the Street, a weekly podcast from Barclays UK, where our experts help ordinary investors make sense of the latest news and events impacting the world's financial markets. This week, we talk about the right and wrong ways of approaching risk and share our seven top tips to help you manage risk successfully with Nikki Eggers, Head of Investments, Alan Budenberg, Investment Consultant, and Rob Smith, Head of Behavioural Finance. To find out about starting your investing journey with Barclays, visit barclays.co.uk forward slash investments. Hello, welcome to Word on the Street. This week, we are going to talk about risk. And that's a topic that's at the heart of investing and one that we think is worth really discussing and getting a bit of expert thought on. So we know that investors in general are looking for better returns than the levels that you can get on cash. And that leads us to really think carefully about the risk of what we do with our money and the risk of losses. So as always, one has to acknowledge that investing always involves an element of risk. You could get back less than you invest. So given that, how we should consider risk and how we should weigh that up and what it means for how we manage our money. So, you know, what kind of returns we should look for when we're looking to beat inflation, which which is really at the heart of, of the risk of holding cash. In order to unpack this and put it far better than I could, I'm relieved to say that I'm joined by Rob Smith. Uh, you'll know him well as our head of behavioural finance and and the person that generally calms us all down. And Alan Budenberg, who equally is a calming influence, but his role as investment consultant is really to help guide our our clients into making the right kind of investment decisions. So hi, Rob. Hi, Alan. How are you doing? Yeah, good. Thanks, Nikki. Yes. Hi, Nikki. Very well. Thank you. Brilliant. So I think, Rob, if if I come to you first, I think we ought to cover the Omicron variant. It's clearly dominating headlines. Markets have been somewhat jolted by this variant and what that could mean. And I know that listeners, both from a human perspective, are thinking about this, but also from an investing perspective. So, Rob, can you just share with us what's the current story and any insight you can give on what that means from from an economic and or sort of markets angle? Unfortunately, I, I mean, I wish I could be, you know, much more insightful, but the, the reality is there's still a lot of question marks about the new uh, Omicron variant as to its transmissibility, its severity of illness and, and its response to the current vaccines. And I think you know a lot of that comes from the fact that there's just a, a sheer number of mutations relative to some of the prior variants we've seen. The reality is that we don't, you know, we don't have the answer to these questions now, and the likelihood is they will come in weeks, not not days. Um, however, you know, in between now and then there will no doubt be lots of speculation in the meantime. As you said, Nikki, markets have, have reacted with increased volatility. We saw, you know, last week and into this week, some um, placing from the drops, but then, you know, ground being retreated as well. As, you know, the markets grapple with the possible paths of the new variant and its effects on the economy. I think what I would say is, and, and I'll channel Will here, is, is warn against any sort of strong views about you know, what that future looks like. There are a range of possible outcomes here, some darker, but, but also some moderate and even potentially positive as well. And for example, you know, there's a potential that you know, the variant could cause less serious disease. And then there are some indications of that than, than the previous variants. So Delta is the sort of dominant one in this country, but it's more transmissible. So it could actually become the, the dominant strain and but cause less serious, uh, less serious infection and has actually reduced the impact of 
hospitalizations and mortality. I, I think no matter how the uncertainty around the Omicron variant resolves itself, the effects will likely be measured in, in sort of weeks and, and quarters. And as long-term investors, it's just what I've got to try and remember is that we're buying sort of all future cash flows of, of the companies and the indexes that we in, invest in and not those just generating from this next sort of quarter and a year or so. So it shouldn't lead to any knee-jerk reactions. Okay, so don't panic. Recognising that we really don't know yet what this means, but we have seen some reaction by the markets already. And even if those worst case scenarios do play out, it's as investors, we have to look through that uh, through to the long term is, is what, what I was hearing, Rob. Indeed, yeah. And then, and then focusing more broadly on wider risks, clients often are looking for us to help them understand the risks uh, in investing or not investing and and you know how to organize their investments around that what what are the important considerations for for those listeners that are perhaps looking to take the first steps or or early in their investing experience yes i think first of all you know it would be, be remiss not to mention sort of objectives and what it is you want to achieve from that from from investing and, and i think we'll touch on that as we our conversation goes on but then in terms of what shapes you know how much risk you can think about sort of taking, there are really two aspects to think about and to split out, if you like. So one of those is around sort of what you can afford to risk, so what we call your capacity to, to take risk, which is defined by your financial circumstances. So, you know, the question is, is there, is there anything limiting the risk that you take from a financial perspective? And, and sort of classics here would be if you're in uh, the sort of period where you're, you don't have any income outside of your investments and therefore you're reliant on that that pot of cash to give you income, and that would obviously reduce the financial capacity of state risk. If you've got lots of potentially sort of unsecured debt or very expensive debt that is essentially not is sort of acting down on, on your ability to, to take risk, then that would be another another consideration. The other part to think about is then you know how you feel about taking risk and, and what we kind of term as attitudes to taking risk. Now the way we see it is there's you know it's not very it's not a straightforward sort of thing there's there's some underlying aspects to kind of what your your attitudes to risk are but i think one of the one of the important ones that we talk about is risk tolerance which is really how do you feel about the possibility of you know, missing out on your longer term goals for the chance of being able to achieve more so have that trade off between you know risk and, and return ultimately of your outcomes and the important thing to say about that is you really want it to remain reasonably stable it, you know obviously your attitude is going to change over time but the reality is that this, you know, what you shouldn't be thinking about is how you perceive the risk of markets to be sort of today, because otherwise what you'll find is you have a, a constantly changing amount of risk that, that you're willing to take and you'll end up sort of selling when markets are sort of falling and going down and sort of at the bottom and end up buying sort of at the top, which obviously isn't a good thing to be doing. So I got our first lesson for today really is to have a view on both your risk capacity and your financial circumstances, but also your attitude to risk and how you feel about taking on some of that long-term risk. Okay, that sounds like sounds like a great place to start. So Alan, we just heard there from from Rob about different levels of risk that investors should think about. And obviously you you talk to clients every day around around this. So how do we 
identify if someone is looking to to find investments that suit them that are low risk or, or medium or high risk? You know, what does that even mean? How, how do we define it? Yes, good point. And you see these phrases, you see them all the time, don't you? Plenty of people talk about these things, but it's important to bring them to life. And the easiest way to do this, uh, Nikki, is you look at your asset allocation. Now, what that means is how much do you have in bonds? You know, they pay a fixed rate of return. How much you have in equities? You know, these are your stocks and shares. And then what the other bucket, which is alternative assets. So it could be property, commodities, or perhaps even absolute return funds. And it's about building that right mix of investments rather than just putting a label on it. So an easy way to start thinking about this is just look at the equity exposure in your portfolio. And then what I think you should do is develop that view and think about the risk of your portfolio and compare it to a global index of shares. So if you have a balanced or moderate approach, that would be around typically 40 to 60% of the risk of a global equity index. By doing this, you can then understand if the market fell by 10, 20%, how that would affect your portfolio and it brings your risk to life. Okay, and, and what about the types of, you said, sort of stocks and shares or, or bonds that you're investing in? Does, does that make a difference to the overall risk as well? Yeah, it does. I mean, if you think about equities, think about the financial crisis or March 2020 with COVID. In a crisis, all these stocks and shares, they tend to go down together. Nikki, so it's all of them have a, a degree of risk. But you think about certain areas of the market where it's slightly higher. So, for example, smaller companies, emerging markets as well. Those tend to have a little bit higher level of volatility, which is what you can think about as risk. And so for us, what we're doing is if we're adding money, say, to one of those areas, emerging markets, we think about that a little bit more carefully because that uses more of your risk allocation. So going back to uh, Rob's point about our lessons for the day, lesson two really is about building that right mix of assets for you. Okay, and we talked earlier about the Omicron variant coming to coming to light. We saw quite a bit of turbulence in in markets, and you know, as we said, there there seems to be there is quite a lot of uncertainty at the moment. So would this change our view on? the risks of types of investments or indeed drive us to change that mix of assets that we're invested in at a time of uncertainty? So, I mean, the overriding answer is no, not materially. So as I mentioned before around thinking about attitudes to risk in the long term, we should really try and think about risk as being about you know, the outcome rather than the sort of journey and, and, and therefore the shorter kind of time period. You know, what, what are the chances you won't reach your goals or your desired objective or or lose money if, if you know if that's kind of your benchmark your objective those are the things we should be thinking about rather than you know what's the, the chance that i'm going to see you know a loss in the next kind of week or month or, or quarter so you really kind of need to um think about the time frame that you're investing over and i guess a, a good thing to think about is looking at the sort of probability of loss um, over different periods in 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 markets and in particularly stock markets, the kind of riskier asset class. Obviously, you know, looking at the history, you know, historic returns are, are no guide to kind of future performance, but they give you an indication of the, the sorts of things that we have seen in the past, and therefore you know help you prepare for the future if you like. But if we looked at let's say the S and P index, you know, big U.S. Uh, equity market index, then we see that. You know, since 1950, 
on 53% of days, it went up. Obviously, therefore, by by definition, you know, on, on 47% of the days, it either was flat or, or down. But that percentage increases to, to 75% of the time the, the market is up if you're investing over a year. And then that increases again to 85% if you're investing over five years and, and so on and so on. That your chances of seeing a, a loss historically decreases as, as, as that kind of time goes on. So I think the thing to really kind of take here is that we want to think about what those timescales are that you're investing over and, and also think about, you know, what are the potential kind of outcomes over, over that period and how do those sort of probabilities make you kind of feel and, and affect the sort of risk you want to think about taking. And, and those numbers you quoted, Rob, which, which are very compelling, you're talking there about equity, stocks and shares, and they are, that's typically a, a more risky class of investments. You, you mentioned, Alan, earlier, volatility, which perhaps our listeners can think of as being you know, how pronounced the movements of returns can be both up and down in a period of time. So if we took a portfolio which is not particularly diversified from an asset class perspective, because say it's 100% stocks, and we'd term that a high-risk portfolio. So time, Rob, you, you mentioned there is, is a key factor but Alan, is there anything else that can be done to help minimise that risk when we're when we're thinking about managing portfolios in, in the most efficient manner? Yeah, it's a couple of points, really, Nikki. I think back to last year. The first one is diversification across sectors. And it's interesting, I think, for UK investors. So if you're investing in the UK, you've got bias towards energy, materials, consumer staples, financials. And think about then what happened last year with those companies. Um, but if you're investing globally, you get a much wider range of sectors and companies. And it's nothing really to do with the performance of different countries, as many of these companies, you know, they're global anyway. But what you get by investing globally, you get that big wide range. So that reduces your, your risk of those particular sectors not doing very well. Now, we've spoken about this a few th- times, I think, on this podcast, but it's really interesting when I go to conferences and I listen to fund managers and they talk still about a UK bias remaining in a significant percentage of clients' portfolios. Uh, I mentioned two things, Nikki, and the other one is currency. And if you think about the dollar and how that reacted, say, financial crisis back to 2008, and also how it reacted in March 20 during the COVID And historically, if you've got some exposure to some of these safe haven currencies, so that's the dollar, it helps sterling investors during a downturn. So this is around uh, those two areas to think about are ones where you can reduce the overall risk of your portfolio. Okay, so so spreading your risky exposures. And then I guess another focus for us all can be thinking about cash, you know, the proverbial sticking it under the mattress, the, the safe option. But clearly with, with cash savings earning very, very little, where does cash play its part in, in managing a risk profile overall alongside other assets? That's a very good question. And I think although often it's not necessarily considered a, an investment per se, you know, cash is, has that kind of guarantee in terms of its return, it's still a really important part of our kind of overall financial plan. As everyone knows, you know, cash is obviously not very productive at the moment. You know, the, the interest rates are very, very low and with inflation, you know, running where it is in positive territory and, 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 and you know, quite 
high at the, at the moment, that leaves you in a position where obviously over time you've got that um, erosion of, of the spending power of your money. But what cash really does is, is you know, by having some money aside, as we often talk about as, a, as your emergency buffer, it really allows you to leave you know, the rest of your investments to work and, and it reduces the likelihood and, and hopefully the, the need for you to worry and, and start tinkering with them, if you like, during some of those uh, sort of short term market turbulence events that we that we see. So the, 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 I guess the only other flip side to that coin is, you know, we also need to be careful not to not to sort of, you know, deploy too much of our money into cash. It's very tempting because it's obviously very sort of emotionally comfortable to have that kind of safety that you know it's there and you can check on it every day and the, the absolute number is not going to go down. But we we often see people sort of allocating what we'd say is probably significant amounts of their of their of their cash as an emergency buffer. But as long as we kind of try and approach it sort of sensibly, it needs to be there to give us the ability to take that risk in our investments. So I think you know, that's the lesson number four is really to create that and maintain, of course, that emergency buffer to then allow you to uh, take risk in, in the rest of the portfolio. I, I, I heard you stress maintain there, um, which which I, I, I took as a little reminder to oneself that that, that emergency pot is is there to only be used in an emergency as opposed to frittering away with Christmas presents for oneself. <laughs> so, so just thinking a bit about the emergency pot being a, a key step, and it really is fundamental to both security, but also dealing with those events that you couldn't predict, right? A, a boiler breaking down or, you know, the car needing repairing or whatever. When we think about moving on from cash into investments, Alan, just thinking a bit about how you know our whole lives have changed during this pandemic, the way we work, the way we socialise, how we operate in every facet of our lives. Has it also changed the view of risk and, and how, how we should manage that? Uh, yeah, thanks, Nikki. The big one here really is interest rates. We uh, think about how these have fallen uh, and bonds have been a, an important part of the portfolio. But as your interest rates fall, the appeal of those bonds also foils. And also some of the diversification benefits, whilst bonds can go negative, it's hard for them to fall when the rates are close to zero. So after the pandemic, I think we'll see these bonds offering a different return risk profile. And that's relevant for investors who are listening. So, for example, if you've got a simple 60% equities, 40% bond portfolio, this has done really well over the last few years, but the big question to think about, is this the right thing to do going forward? Now, plenty of interesting articles out there. You can simply search on the internet on the 60-40 portfolio. But our view and lesson five of this, Nikki, is to think about that mix of assets on your long-term outlook. And just to, to show what we've done this year, we've really changed the way we get diversification benefits and changed our mix of assets this year, and it's worked well for us. Brilliant. And so, as we as we move to lesson six, Rob, you know, we we talked a bit about you know having that long term lens, looking through short term turbulent periods. But we know that stock markets can deliver that. Um, we saw that last year. We've seen a bit of it uh, in the last week or so. So, how can investors best prepare themselves for for stock market risk and 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 dealing with that in the short term? Indeed, yeah, that's a really good question. So, as an investor, 
I think the best way to arm yourself against that is to have realistic expectations of what the level of risk in your portfolio means over, over the short term. If you don't have the you know emotional sort of fortitude and, and what we often uh, we call composure to deal with those sorts of moves that you might be expecting to see then it might you know want to have an effect on the sort of risk you take in, in the longer term because what we don't want to do is you know potentially take on more risk in our portfolio because over the longer term we feel like that that seems like something that we're happy to do but then the short-term consequences of, of, of that risk then derail us and we end up selling out you know at precisely the worst moments uh, you know a good way to to try and do that and set those expectations is to you know is to think about and look at again you know history isn't a perfect goal it's, it's it's you know we can't use it as a as a predictor of the future but we can use it as just a an understanding of you know how we might have felt during certain periods in the past and so we can look at you know what are the sort of maximum we say drawdowns which really means you know what's the maximum sort of drop between you know the market sort of at its highest and when it sort of got to its lowest you know each year and, and look at you know the average of that over time but also look at then the spread and you know what are, what are some of the worst ones that we've seen and, and, and what are some of the better ones and you know ask ourselves how we would feel in those sorts of situations would we be able to weather those short-term moves even if we still think you know in the longer term we're happy with the amount of of risk that that puts us into as a, as a portfolio and we can actually look and we can go back and, and look at the data and you know again from the 1950s if, if onwards to today if we look at you know the average drawdown in sort of some of the bigger stock markets or some of the you know global stocks and shares markets then what we see is you know average drawdowns are sort of in, in the teens somewhere often we see years where there's less than that and you know obviously we sometimes see years where they're much greater and the financial crisis would be a good example of that where you know you're getting closer to I think, almost 50 percent in, in some markets but you know the key thing is here is this is just you know from the top to the bottom so you know over the course of the whole year they may have made some of that back so you know these are sort of the worst possible time periods if, you, if you're looking at but it's good to again arm ourselves with that so it's really lesson number six as you said before is, is to understand you know, some of those scenarios and ask yourself, you know, how you might feel going through those. Okay. And um, um, earlier on, we talked a bit about inflation and the effect both on, on cash holdings, but also on, on markets. We've talked about that in, in previous episodes. So, Alan, perhaps you can just share a bit about how inflation should influence how we as investors think about our objectives and the risks that we should be willing to take. Yes, Nikki. Uh, so our last lesson of the day, lesson seven of our magnificent seven lessons of risk is about inflation. And it couldn't be really more topical. Um, but I think for investors, when you think about returns, really what you should think about is real returns. So what you get after inflation and then think about inflation, typically three to four percent range could be higher. And if you look at the Bank of England, what they were talking about on their last uh, communications, they were talking about this still above target next year and perhaps coming back into target the year after. So the question for investors, and this is the big question to think about, is if you do want real returns, is the same portfolio you've had over the last 10 years when inflation has been low the right thing to do? So just to finish up, Nikki, our lesson seven is when you are balancing your risk and return objects, think about real returns. And if you do expect inflation to be higher, you should consider if you've got the right asset allocation to achieve that objective. 
Really well said. And while we've been talking about this, I've been thinking this is like the healthy version of my kids' chocolate advent calendars. So, <laughs> so I, I wonder if week by week we will continue the countdown towards Christmas and the festive season. But Rob, Alan, thank you so much. I know what I've taken from this is a little bit of a reset for me, thinking about so we're getting towards the new year. It's always a good time to make your plans for the year ahead. And I think taking stock, thinking about that emergency buffer and, and thinking about the plan and then planning to stick to the plan feels like good advice and and a healthy way to manage our our financial futures. So Alan and Rob, thanks so much. Uh, Thank you to our listeners and we'll be back in a week's time. All investments can fall as well as rise in value and their past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance. This podcast is not a personal investment recommendation.